Hi, this is Chad Dull. Welcome to my Poverty Informed Podcast. An approach that uh, always seemed wise to me, but maybe seems even wiser given our current circumstances. Uh, it's about finding the strengths in the people we serve. Um, I haven't done one of these podcasts in a while because, like most of you, I've been facing the, the consequences of the pandemic. Um, if I'm honest, the consequences for me have been fairly minor. I'm still working. I live in relative safety. Um, but it's certainly disruptive. Um, and for me, I've just noticed uh, how this whole thing has just laid bare uh, the notion of kind of unequalness and inequity in our society in terms of how people can respond and how they can weather it. Uh, and it takes me to some pretty dark places. Uh, and the place that I find hope in this is that I think we could, on the other side of this, recognize how fragile our whole kind of ecosystem is for people and how close so many of us are to living in circumstances that we think we're safe from, but we're really not. And it might help us to start seeing people in poverty as being in a difficult circumstance as opposed to having a character flaw, which is all too often, I think, the way we see folks. Um, so I've been thinking about that for, for weeks, actually. Um, but it hit me this morning, um, oh, music I was listening to. Music's kind of a time machine. And I, there was a song when I was in college by Neil Young called Rockin' in the Free World. And uh, there's a great lyric in it where he's got a verse about a drug-addicted mother and her child. And kind of the payoff is that he says, there's one more kid that'll never go to school, never get to fall in love, never get to be cool. And when I was 18, that really hit me. That felt unfair. Um, today, I was surfing the Internet because we have time to do that these days. Uh, and I ran across a version of the song by Pearl Jam at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And Eddie Vedder had made a subtle lyrical change that uh, 30 years later felt really important to me. He said, there's one more kid that'll never go to school, never get to fall in love, never get to be you. And he kind of pointed at the audience. And that's what I've been feeling for a while is that uh, as this crisis has hit and people are falling into poverty that never expected to, um, that I'm hoping they will see how easy it is to be there and that notion that it's a circumstance, not a character flaw, and that we come out the other end understanding better ways to take care of one another. So uh, today I'd like to share just one little piece of that, and it's something I actually wrote last fall, but it's called Poverty Informed Practice in Higher Education, Start with Strengths. As I've been writing, podcasting, and speaking over the last two plus years, I've made a number of connections across the country. Sometimes these are people I admire or places that might be good collaborators or just kindred souls. It's always nice to find like-minded folks and it doesn't bother me one bit to talk with people who want to challenge my ideas either. But the most meaningful interactions I get the privilege of having are conversations away from the podium. The nature of my work means I share things that are personal, which always feels weird, but inevitably it's worth it because someone will come up to me afterward and they will share a similar experience. It's almost as if watching me embrace some of my own struggles, which pale compared to many, gives permission for them to embrace their own struggles and start to see them differently. 
So many of us have been deeply programmed to believe our struggles are due to our deficits, when in reality, those struggles come from things that are structural, and overcoming those things has created a set of strengths others may not even know about. Starting with strengths is a fundamental premise of poverty-informed practice, but it's not as easy as it sounds. Let me try to explain. Because I choose to share about my little movement on social media, people reach out to me on social media platforms as well. I'd like to share one of the messages I received so you can see a problem you might not have anticipated. The note I received in my inbox said this, Chad, have you heard about or worked on programs that simply prove existing skill sets? As a poverty survivor, and formerly homeless, I find myself looking for certifications and classes that cover skills I have because I can't admit to their origin in a professional setting. Poverty survivors have to keep their street skills secret until an acceptable experience proves those skills exist, like certification. I know I'm not the only one, but I never see or hear anything about finding a way to recognize the beneficial skills born out of horrible experiences. I didn't have a very satisfying answer for the person who sent me that message, but the message stuck with me since the day I received it. Dr. Donna Beagle talks often about living in a country where we blame the poor for being poor, and here was a real-life example in my inbox. This individual felt they had to hide the source of their strengths and find training to cover for how they had really acquired those tools. That can't be okay. Think about the opportunities these scenarios provide as poverty-informed practitioners. I see two opportunities in particular. The first is for those of us in perceived positions of power to share some of our struggles, especially if and when we received some key help. I think we have to normalize and destigmatize help every chance we get. So for example, I've begun to be much more honest about the situational poverty I experienced in my 20s, which I had always blamed myself for. For many years, I would hide from the cr my crooked path through college, uh, my loss of credit, my loan defaults, and other errors which always felt like personal failures. Now, maybe some of this stuff was on me personally, but my shame around it and the consequences of hiding it were responsible for not getting the help I needed to get moving. And every time I disclose pieces of that story, someone identifies, and I wish I hadn't waited almost 20 years to be brave enough to start sharing it. If I'm honest, my current relative stability makes it easier to talk about it. That also indicates the depth of the shame around these issues. The second opportunity we have is the chance to help the people we serve reframe their struggles as learning and strengths. This is as simple and as complicated as changing intake procedures. In education, we so often start with an analysis of your weaknesses, often through academic testing. Testing is perhaps not a positive historical experience for our students. And then even more unfortunately, we tend to discuss the results in a deficit manner, telling you where your weaknesses are. This is the issue in well-intended developmental education programs across the country. I know this because I led well-intended developmental education work like that for many years. But now I see very clearly, we were inadvertently telling students we would fix them before they started something meaningful. Now instead, I would suggest your intake start with a simple question. Tell me what you have done. This seemingly small change can change everything, in my opinion, particularly if we know how to respond. What if when we made this inquiry, we listened, took notes, and just seemed interested? 
What if even better, we took the opportunity to search for transferable skills in their prior accomplishments? What if, from the minute of arrival, we started talking about possibilities and showed respect and awe for the skills it takes to survive the crisis of poverty? Could the discussion change? And could those follow-up tests be framed differently then? A poverty-informed college must think carefully about who the first point of contact is, and ideally that person or people would be adept and nimble at translating life skills to college goals. Imagine a student coming in with the accumulated shame and doubt the crisis of poverty creates, and the first conversation they have celebrates the amazing tools they've developed to get to our door. So often, I feel inadequate in this conversation because figuring out what to actually do is a struggle for me. But I'm committed to the idea of leveling the playing field, and I'm committed to doing the work through my own strengths. I heard the indefatigable Dr. Sarah Goldrick Rabb say at Real College 2019 that step one in building a movement is to change the discourse. I think that's where my efforts are focused. One of the strengths I acquired along my journey is the ability to listen, communicate, and change people's minds. I am so impressed and a little intimidated by folks who know how to make structural change, and sometimes my own efforts feel too small and too easy. But in the same way I'm asking us to approach our students from a strengths-based perspective, I'm trying to give myself the same grace. While I am committed to a bias for action and to make sure we don't stop at navel-gazing, I am also trying to embrace my own strengths to change the discourse within my sphere of influence. For those of you who might struggle with the same kind of insecurities I do, warning, self-disclosure ahead, I want to tell you a story. In June of 2018, I was in an important meeting with important people, and I was making the case for being both poverty and trauma-informed as a college. At the end of the important meeting with important people, the most important person in the room turned to me and said, I need to learn more because I don't really understand this poverty-informed thing you're talking about. My heart sank and all my insecurities came back to the surface. I left that meeting, but rather than retreat, I leaned into my strength to change the discourse. And 18 months later, that college had the words poverty-informed in their strategic plan. My current college has a goal of poverty-informed infrastructure. And the hashtag poverty-informed appears in my social media feed daily. It took the relative safety of my middle-aged, middle-class privilege to make that happen. Let's not make others wait. What if we celebrated the strengths of the people we serve from the moment they arrive? What could we unleash with the simple change to starting with strengths?